Welcome to So Says Rick. Mostly True Stories by Rick Hall. Welcome to episode 20. Laura, I'm not a math whiz, but I'm going to do the math on this. We do a show every other week, so that's 40 weeks of So Says Rick. Wowee, that's almost a month. No way. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, last episode, I did a story from my one-man show, Pig Boy, and I mentioned where I got the name Pig Boy was from working at a meatpacking plant, and I have a story about that. That was in the show, Pig Boy, and I want to tell that story this episode. So, yes, this is an old story, made new, re-recorded. And um, I just have to say, being a girl who grew up in the suburbs, this was all new territory for me. I had never really thought about what happens at a meatpacking plant, but he does talk about it in the story. Well, nobody really (laughs) thinks about the logistics of a meatpacking plant, and you don't really know until you work there. But I've toned it down. Originally, it was a bit more graphic than it is now. So, <laughs> But, you know, if you are a vegetarian, you might want to cover your ears for that part. <laughs> but the story is not all about the logistics of the meatpacking right. plant. It's about my, my growing up into being a man, I guess. Right. Today you are a man. Yeah. It's the bucolic bar mitzvah of, <laughs> of Rick Hall. Oh, maybe we should change the name to that. <laughs> there you go. So here it is, an old story made new, The Making of a Pig Boy. In high school, I used to like hanging out at my buddy Marty Ward's house because I liked his old man, Paul Ward, or P.W., as everyone called him, including his wife and kids. You see, P.W. was everything my dad wasn't. Oh, yeah, P.W. smoked, P.W. drank, and P.W. swore in casual conversation. And whenever I went over to their house, he was always sitting at the kitchen table, and he always said the same thing to me. Hey, Ricky, come on in, sit down and have a beer. Oh, that's right, you don't drink, do you? (laughs) How about some ribs or a piece of flank steak left over from dinner and sitting over there on the counter? Uh, If you don't eat it, it's just going to go to the Beagle tomorrow. Now, by the way, don't take that wrong. The fact that I was being offered a piece of meat that was going to the Beagle the next day was actually a compliment coming from a rabbit hunter like P.W. I mean, he did offer it to me first. Of course, in the Ward household, there are always large quantities of meat available day or night. It's one of the benefits of owning your own meatpacking plant. On Saturday nights, all the guys from Ward's Meat Processing would hang out at P.W.'s house. They'd all take their designated places around the kitchen table. I would be demoted to leaning against a refrigerator, but that was okay, because I got to listen to their stories. Listening to these guys was like taking a master class in storytelling. The tall tales would fly around the kitchen table all night long from one meat cutter to the next, and every Saturday night they'd tell the same stories. But every Saturday night those stories would just get bigger and bigger and better and better. And you could always tell when they were adding a new good juicy lie to their story because they'd say, No, hey, listen, man, that ain't no BS. Now, 
these guys all tolerated me, even though I wasn't one of their type, you know. I was a good Baptist boy who didn't drink or smoke and who sang at talent shows and church functions with my family, the singing halls. After my freshman year in college, I came home that summer to work on the farm, but on Saturday nights, I'd still hang out at P.W.'s house and listen to the stories. I didn't tell him I was a theater major, by the way. One night, somebody was telling a story about a guy out at the plant who'd got his finger cut off and they ground it up into sausage. All of a sudden, P.W. turned around to me and said, Hey, Ricky, what you doing Tuesday? I need some help on the kill floor. It's pig day. I thought he might be joking, so I played it really cool. Sure would like to, P.W., but uh, I'm not sure how good I'd be with a knife. <laughs> I wouldn't let you cut meat, Ricky. No, I need somebody to shoot him. Pays ten bucks an hour. Come on out to the kill floor and be the pig boy. Wow, pig boy. Here was my chance to be part of this group, to feel the bond of working side by side with these men. I mean, I'd gotten a taste of that camaraderie in college with a cast from My Fair Lady. Oh yeah, we got pretty crazy. But this was different. This was something I'd wanted for a long time, so I heard myself say, Yeah. And the next thing I knew, it was early Tuesday morning, and I was at Ward's Meat Processing, ready to bond with the boys. Now, I say I'd met most of these guys from the meatpacking plant at P.W.'s house, but they were different at the plant. They seemed meaner and kind of dangerous. It was something in their eyes. I mean, if you think about it, here's a bunch of guys who all carry sharp knives and wear bloody aprons most of their lives. And I don't mean just at the plant. I've seen them uptown dressed that way. Walking into that plant, I felt like the new guy walking into prison who has to walk by all the lifers and the guys doing a hard time. Oh, I'm just in here for some parking tickets. We had a few minutes before the first load of hogs came in, so they all stood around telling jokes, none of which are appropriate to repeat at this moment. But I laughed at all of them, because it gave me a chance to size up the boys right here in their natural surroundings. There was Rocky LeBlanc, whose claim to fame was two rows of teeth. Yeah, they grew in that way as a little boy, one row right behind the other. Those two rows of teeth saved Rocky's life once. I was half of the wagon wheel getting a drink with some of the boys, and for no reason at all, oh, Buster Gross come up behind me and sucker punched me. He knocked me down. And then he was sitting on my chest and hitting on me, and I, I couldn't get no punches in, so I grabbed him by the ears, and I bit him on the nose, and I didn't let go until he lost enough blood to pass out. Then I kicked his butt. There was Skinny, who had spent all weekend in jail for beating up his little sister's boyfriend. Hey, he brought her home a half hour late, would you expect? There was a fat guy they called Gunner, who'd been in Vietnam and brought back a fifty caliber machine gun that he took squirrel hunting on weekends. And then there was Stuart. Stuart was a bit older than the other guys. Stuart was real lean and strong. I'd never seen him over at P.W.'s house before, and I quickly realized why. Because he didn't talk to anybody, no one tried to talk to him. I had him pegged as the moody loner mass murderer of the cell block. So here's a group I want to be part of. 
oh gosh, I got nothing in common with these guys. I mean, I've never bitten anybody's nose off or blown a squirrel to bits with a machine gun. I didn't even drink, and some of them were having a beer with their morning donut. How could I get these guys to respect me? They all chewed skull. Oh, I wished I'd put on my old jeans that morning. They had a worn-out place in the right back pocket. Kind of looked like I'd carried around a skull tin. Of course, it was from the case that held my retainer, but they wouldn't know that. Then I remembered something terrible I'd done. Oh, I was coming home from Bible study last Wednesday night, and I hit a beagle with my car. I felt bad at the time, but now I thought, yeah, I'll tell him that. It'll give me that cold-blooded edge. They'll respect that. I decided to leave off the Bible study part, by the way. I waited for a lull in the conversation to slip it in real natural. Yeah, I... I hit a beagle out on Rangeline Road the other night. <laughs> it was silent. Everybody turned and looked at Stuart, who stood up and said his first word of the day. He looked right at me and said, Jerk! And then he walked into the bathroom. I didn't know what was going on until Gunner leaned over and said to me, Stuart's beagle's been missing for a week. You better watch your back, boy! I hit a beagle? What was I thinking? If I'd said I ran over a cat, they would have loved me, but a rabbit dog and a beagle, that was almost unforgivable. I knew what I had to do. I had to walk in that bathroom and face Stuart. Just be a man. Tell him the truth. Or better yet, walk into that bathroom and lie. Tell him it wasn't a beagle. Now, what I didn't know was that the bathroom at Ward's meat processing was tiny, and if I hadn't been so nervous, I might have noticed a sign on the door that said, Open this door fast, you'll hit someone in the ass. I didn't want the guys to think I was afraid, so I kind of gave the door a karate kick. It went swinging in and hit Stuart in the back of the head while he was facing the toilet doing his business. And since his hands weren't free at the time, it knocked him forward. He hit his face on the wall over the toilet and fell backwards, started to pass out. So I grabbed Stuart and helped him sit on a five-gallon bucket in the corner. I could see he had a bloody nose, so I went to get some toilet paper and started to help him with his nose, but he was quickly regaining consciousness. He looked up at me and said, you son of a gun! You broke my nose! That's when I decided it was time to leave the bathroom. I figured the safest thing for me to do was to explain to P.W. what happened, and then, for my own protection, just go home. But when I came out of the bathroom, there were all the guys waiting to see what had happened, and before I could say a thing, P.W. came out of the office, handed me a loaded twenty-two rifle, and said, Come on, Ricky! Let's get to work! It all happened so quickly, and the next thing I knew, I was out on the kill floor doing my job. Actually, Stuart wasn't a problem, because when he came out of the bathroom, no one said a word to him, and he said nothing to them. He just pretended like nothing ever happened. But his nose was broken, you could tell. There was a big bump about halfway up on his nose that wasn't there before. Oh, boy, it was going to be a long day. Now, I was the first one on the line, so my job was actually pretty simple, but in some ways, it was the toughest job on the floor. You see, I had to go outside to a sorting pen and pick out a hog and shoot it. 
then go back inside, open a little wooden door, hook a chain hoist to him, and pull him up in the air onto the rail, and send him down the line to the next guy, who was Stuart, by the way. Shooting the hogs made me nervous. I didn't want to do it wrong, but you see, there's a right way to do it, so it's quick and painless. And you know, I thought, it's a little ironic that me, the tenor from the singing halls, was one shooting pigs all day, while the tough guys, the real men, were working with meat that had already been killed. By me, of course. By 11.30, though, I was getting pretty fast at my job. Everything seemed to be running smoothly, except for Stuart. He kept saying things under his breath, and then he would spit some scold juice right in front of me, like some challenge in an old West saloon or something. And everybody else noticed it, but they didn't seem to care because all they knew was Stuart was mad at me, not them. When we broke for lunch, Gunner came up to me and said, Oh, Stuart's mad at you. Yeah, he's good with a knife. Be careful, he might just get you down, skin you alive. Oh, you better watch your back, boy. Okay, I knew Gunner was nuts, and I figured he was just trying to scare me. And... Well, he did a pretty good job, because my palms started to sweat, and the next pig after lunch that I had to shoot, I guess my hands were shaking a little because I missed. Well, the bullet ricocheted off the concrete, up into the door of the kill floor, and then I heard a yell from the other side. Oh my gosh, I shot one of the guys. I ran inside. It was Stuart. I'd shot Stuart right in the butt. None of the other guys were on the floor yet, but they came running in when they heard the shot. They came in to see me standing there with a smoking gun and Stuart jumping around and holding his butt and yelling, You son of a gun! You shot me in the ass! Keep him away from me! He's dangerous! Then he pulled down his pants right there to assess the damages. I got lucky. The bullet hit him right in his rear pocket where he kept his skull tin, and by the time it ricocheted off the concrete and went through the wooden door, it wasn't moving quite fast enough to penetrate. It did leave a big brown spot on the back of his pants, though. I'm assuming that was from the skull. Well, as soon as everybody saw Stuart was all right, or at least only slightly injured, they all had to tell stories of when they'd been shot. I learned an interesting fact that day. Four out of five meat cutters have shot a family member or friend while cleaning a gun. But then I realized they were telling their stories to me. Yeah, just like that. I was one of the guys. I could see it in their eyes. I had their respect. I mean, they were all afraid of Stuart, and Stuart was afraid of me. And why not? I'd killed his dog, broken his nose, and shot him in the ass. Through a series of clumsy mistakes, I'd become the king of the kill floor. Oh, I knew they would tell the story of Pig Boy for years to come, and every Saturday night it would just get bigger and bigger and better and better. Well, that was my first and last day to work on the kill floor. But I'd done what I wanted. I had become part of this brotherhood. I bonded with these guys. It's an amazing thing, isn't it, that need we men have to bond with other men? It's that same force that calls men to leave their offices in the city and to run into the woods, take off their clothes, beat on drums, and perform ancient rituals. I don't know what they do out there, because in a small town, we do it a little differently. Like, in the spring, you and your buddy 
Take his four-wheel drive pickup and plow across somebody's new wheat field. Cut ruts all the way across it. Or one of you hangs out the truck window, shooting at stop signs with a 12-gauge while your buddy drives. Oh, nothing bonds men together tighter than that. And I got to be pretty good at hitting those stop signs. I'd blow the S off the front of them, and then everybody would say, Oh, man, you blew the S out of that one. <laughs> you know what, though? If you go down to Carrollton, Illinois now, you'll still see top signs all over the place. No, seriously. Hey, hey, that ain't no BS. So I have to ask, Rick, okay. I know these are, you know, mostly true stories, but how much of that story is actually true? Well, the core of it is true. I was friends with Marty Ward, and his dad, P.W., did ask me to work on the kill floor one day. But the characters, other than Rocky LeBlanc, um, are just, uh, they're amalgamations of these guys. But Rocky LeBlanc did have two rows of teeth, and he did get in a bar fight once and bite somebody on the nose like that. I'm quoting him on that one. <laughs> but it's so interesting to me because you're trying to fit in with a bunch of guys that I'm not sure I'd want to be a part of that group. Well, they were a tough crowd for sure. But you know what? Young boys are trying to figure out how to be men, and this is just part of the process. And I think of the things young teenage boys do. Uh, this was pretty tame compared to that. Yeah. And did you ever actually shoot out stop signs? No, no. <laughs> But I know plenty of guys who have done that. Well, I'm glad you're not one of them. Thank you, honey. All right. Once again, thanks for listening. And tune in in a couple weeks for episode 21. 